Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. To uh, Acts chapter 26, Acts 26 here this evening. I'm going to turn over to verses, starting with verse number 22, and read to the end of the chapter, starting with verse 22, reading to the end of the chapter, amen, here tonight. We are really, really uh, on the verge of being uh, completed with the book of Acts, with the book of Acts. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but I'm determined if it don't happen this year, it'll happen by the second week of January. So I've gave myself a little buffer just in case it don't take place. Acts 26 and verse 22, the Bible states these words. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other these none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should shew light unto the people, unto the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. When he had thus spoken, king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with them and when they were gone aside they talked between themselves saying this man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds then said Agrippa unto Festus this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar amen tonight just to hang everything I'm going to speak of on uh, a title that we can just center around. I want to talk tonight about this mistaken truth hyphen. I'm not mad. Mistaken truth. I'm not mad. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, I come to you here this evening. Lord, touch us anew and touch us afresh, God, in this place. I pray, O oh Lord, bring every thought to captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus here tonight. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, God, that you're able to convey, Lord God, some truth, Lord, in this house. God, through your word, by your word. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, God, I know your mercies are new every morning, but God, I pray, God, for mercy right now. God, in the next few moments, Lord Jesus, of the teaching, Lord, convey. Lord, of the word of God, that you're able to minister, Lord Jesus, in some fashion. God, we're thankful for all those, God, that are back, God. Sicknesses, Lord, have left, Lord Jesus, bodies, God, and they've made whole. God, we're grateful tonight for that. Lord, safeguard them and keep them in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Mistaken truth. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm not mad. 
man. We're not mad. You'll recall last week, chapter 25, we left just a few verses there undone, but they serve as a good springboard for me tonight because Paul here comes before, is going to be coming before uh, Agrippa and Bernice and him coming before them. It's not he's coming before them for an official trial per se or an official hearing as much as it was an examination, an examination to gather what Festus ought to write to Caesar. Remember, he is he is in a very uh, difficult situation here. He's supposed to send Paul to Caesar because Paul made his appeal to Caesar, but Festus don't have anything to write concerning Paul's crimes. And so Festus don't want to look like an idiot, all right? Just to put it plainly, he don't want to look like an idiot who someone who's in his new position as governor here that's sending a quote-unquote criminal to Caesar without any alleged crimes. Amen. It's hard to tell, call somebody a criminal when they don't have no crimes attached to them. And so he don't want to look like an idiot. He wants to send uh, Paul to Caesar with an, a listing of crimes or charges and accusations stated against him because in Festus's own hearing of Paul, he could not lay anything to his charge. But uh, he knows that, that Agrippa is more acquainted with the Jewish customs than he is. And he's hoping with that insight, that, that familiarity that Agrippa has with the Jews, that perhaps he will be able to give some type of insight, be able to give some type, if you will, of edge to what they could convict Paul with in this situation. And so whenever Festus informed Agrippa, remember last week, whenever Festus was informing Agrippa about the trial he had with Paul, about the hearing that he had with Paul, he came to that place where he was conveying everything to Agrippa. And if you'll remember, he kind of minimized the chaos that was stirred up over this idea of this man, Jesus Christ, about whether or not he was alive or whether he was dead. He said, you know, we have all the other Jews talking about that Jesus was dead, and yet Paul is stating that he is alive. And he really minimized that whole fact and that whole point. But that is not a point to be minimized and uh, we'll go on looking at that as we've already looked at that repetitively in the book of Acts, but yet again in this chapter. And so Agrippa and Bernice, they, they enter into the hearing area. The Bible says they enter there with great, great pomp. These are people of clout. This is King Herod Agrippa II and his sister, Bernice. Might I say, a lot of people think that she was his wife. That's because they were lovers. As crude as that may sound, yes, there was an incestuous relationship in the King Herod Agrippa II. So he's entering there with Bernice to this, this hearing. They're people of cloud, people of importance. And then if you can just imagine your mind, they have all of this pomp, all of this grandeur for these that are entering in. And then enters the Apostle Paul, who has been incarcerated for some time, and he is chained with a chain according to the Scripture. They're coming in with all of the grandeur of their garments and they're all their great pageantry, if you will, of people. And then enters in the, the Apostle Paul with a chain. And Paul is going to address now 
King Agrippa. That's really his focal point in this matter. He's going to address King Agrippa. And over in the corner somewhere, you might look at it, is going to be Governor Festus. Seeing if there's something he'll be able to write down. Something he'll be able to pin on the Apostle Paul in reading or listening rather to the discourse between Paul and King Agrippa. But here is Paul in a chain. He is literally, as he stated in Scripture, the Apostle Paul was God's ambassador in bonds. He's God's ambassador in bonds. He is the chosen vessel that the Lord had spoken over him since his conversion that would bear the name, his name, Jesus' name, before the Gentiles, kings as he is here, and the children of Israel. Now, the Bible says that Paul starts out, he's going to speak for himself. Agrippa gives him leadway. You may speak for yourself. And Paul's going to speak for himself. And he gestures, the Bible says, with his hand which is a little peculiar. He's chained, but he makes a gesture. So you can, you can start to visualize, amen, the, the whole scenario here is a man chained. He's gesturing, though, not keeping him. I guess he spoke with his hands a lot. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That even a chain wasn't going to keep him from his hand gestures. And so he was gesturing with his hand. And so no doubt it was there in plain sight. No doubt as he spoke. No doubt there may have been a little rattling, if you will, of the links as, as he motioned different times throughout his speech. And Festus knew, as he's hearing what Paul is saying again, Festus knew as he's sitting there that Paul has done nothing worthy of death according to his estimation. And there were probably several others there, perhaps those that have already heard Paul once, that this man has done nothing worthy of death. And it seems to be in the last portion of, of Acts chapter 26 that even Agrippa would end up saying the very same thing that Paul had done nothing worthy of death. And he goes even to the degree of saying in verse 31 that in addition, he was not even worthy of the bonds that he had on him. He was not worthy of the chain that he had on him. As a matter of fact, Agrippa says in verse 32, Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man, speaking of Paul, might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. But the law was this. Since Paul appealed to Caesar, to Caesar he must go. But Agrippa says, had he not made his appeal, had he not made his appeal to Caesar, he may have very well been at, set at liberty this very day from all of this mess that has led up to this moment in time. Amen. Someone say amen. But I want to underscore tonight this simple thing. That Paul's appeal to Caesar, his appeal to Caesar, goes beyond a prisoner making an appeal to a higher power because of suffering some type of injustice in one of the lower courts, so to speak. Paul's appeal to Caesar really is connected to a man of God that is laden with a burden to go to Rome. It's a man of God that prior even to incarceration, he had a vision of going to Rome. But now because of his imprisonment, unable to go there of his own accord, he sees the only way that this thing can go forward is if I make my appeal to Caesar 
and they got to take me to Rome. So in essence, I, this is more than Paul saying I've done unjustly. This is a man of God that's made his appeal to Caesar because he's seen that as his ticket to fulfill what he believed to be his destiny. Amen. He's seen it as his ticket to follow through on the purpose that he believed God had for his life. Yet Agrippa says that Paul could have been set at liberty had he not been bound. Let me state it like this or couch it like this. Paul could have been set at liberty from a physical literal chain. But even if Paul had been set at liberty of his physical chain, Paul still would have been bound by his mission and bound by his purpose. Physical chain could have been gone, but Paul in his spirit still would not have been at total liberty knowing that he was bound by a mission to make it to Rome. Even Paul oftentimes said in his epistles that he wrote to the churches, he oftentimes started quite a few of them actually. He said, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Meaning this, you take away my chain, Rome. He said, but I'm still a prisoner because I'm bound unto the Lord Jesus Christ. By all appearances, it seemed as though Paul was bound by Rome. But Paul says, no, not just that. I've made myself a servant. I've made myself a bondservant of the Lord before whom I stand. In other words, before I was ever bound by Rome, I was already, the Bible says he was bound in spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that being said tonight, there is in Paul's life and in our Christian lives a very peculiar paradox that takes place. And that is this. We are people that are at liberty in our being bound to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, are, we find liberty in being bound. That don't make sense. On the natural level, that don't make sense. That, that, that just the way the same the Lord says at different times things that don't make sense, like if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you try to find your life, you lose it. See, that, that's upside down in our estimation. But that's the way the Lord works throughout Scripture. Many things concerning him are paradoxes. And so we find a liberty in being bound. Again, in Acts 20, you can read it in verse 22, before Paul went to Jerusalem, before this whole escapade ever started, the Bible says that Paul spoke and said that he was bound in the Spirit. And yet we know, according to some of the other writings of Paul in his epistles, we know that he was also at liberty. Bound in the Spirit, yet also at liberty in the Spirit. Paul, in his writing to the church at Corinth, he said in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, or literally translated, where the Spirit is made Lord, he said there is liberty. Someone say amen. Hmm. And so Paul has been imprisoned in a few various places here already. The Roman officials had taken him to a few different places here already. But Paul always kept the proper perspective. No matter who was his chief captain of the prisoner, so to speak, he always kept in perspective who his true ruler 
who his true master, who his true Lord was. Paul understood, although he may have been in the Mamertine prison of Rome or wherever, or Caesarea or Jerusalem, he knew he was not a prisoner of the Roman government. He knew that the lords were not the Jewish hierarchy of the scribes and the high priests, but he knew the Lord was that spirit that he had been filled with at his conversion. And so he was bound in the spirit, amen, to do a mission. But he was set at liberty by the same spirit because he had made that spirit he received his Lord and his master and his ruler. Someone say amen. With that being said tonight, people, people that feel like living for God is bondage in a negative sense may feel that way because they've not made his spirit their Lord. Because we can have a liberty in our being bound unto Christ. Mm-hmm. Being bound unto Christ. But if you feel that being bound to Christ, if you feel that in a negative sense, it may be because you've not made his spirit your Lord. The apostle said in another place of scripture, uh, Galatians 4 and 1 it is, if, if you want to go there or look at it. The Bible says this, and this is important tonight. As long as the heir is a child, it differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. That's an interesting statement. It's saying that an heir and a servant, you, you, you have a man who has a son, an heir, and he has a servant, that both of them differeth not as long as the heir is a child. They have governed. You didn't read the rest of Scripture. They have governors and they have tutors along the way, the Bible says. But there's no difference between a servant or an heir as long as they are, as long as the heir is a child. Let me, let me just back that up a little bit further. As long as the heir is immature, he differeth not from the servant. Someone say amen. Let's break it down like this. You get filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Thank God. To whom I yield my, myself to obey his servants I am. I yield myself to the Spirit, to the Holy Ghost. I become a servant of that. I come bound to that. But you, though you may be filled with the Holy Ghost, you will, listen to me, you will feel like you are a servant in bondage until you grow up and mature in what you've received. Because a servant doesn't differ from an heir as long as the heir is a child, as long as the heir is immature. So what I'm saying is this, it's in our maturing in Christ it's in our maturing and our walk and our relationship with God that we change from seeing God as someone that's lording something over us to seeing him as a father that we want over us 
because we fall under the umbrella of everything that he has to offer. Oh, someone just shake your head right now. See, whenever you, in your immaturity, uh, immature, immaturity will do this. Man, why in the world would the Lord not really like for us to go here, wear that, say this? That's bondage. That's a kid speaking. That's children speaking. The one that mature says, I know why. Because that safeguards what I've received. Mm -hmm. That helps order my steps in his word. That helps get me from here to glory. Someone say amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Because it's in, in all of those things that I'm not seeing this as the Lord. He's not limiting me, but he is protecting me. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this. Does anybody uh, term themselves as being bound in marriage? In a negative sense? Now somebody, and you might joke around and say, yeah, I'm bound to her. But do you ever just really consider yourself being bound in marriage to your spouse in a negative sense? No. I look at it through the lens of the vows I took. Forsaking all others for the one. It's not that I'm considering, man, I can't have anything else. But because I've got this, I don't want or need anything else. Paul's saying then, I'm bound to my spirit and I'm at liberty in my spirit because I'm a mature Christian. Yeah, I'm a mature Christian. Someone say amen. Let's run, let's run. We got to get through 26. So Agrippa's in this audience. He's Herod Agrippa II. The, Her the Herods were part of the Edomites in the Old Testament, descendants of Esau. Yes, the Esau that was brother to Jacob, son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham. So Herod Agrippa II here, he was a king, but he was really what was called a vassal king or a puppet king, which basically means this. Herod Agrippa II, you're a Jewish individual, but you can have some Roman land and be king over the Roman land as long as you give your allegiance to Rome. You're a Jew that can have Roman land as long as you give your allegiance to Rome. Now, isn't that a compromise? And so King Herod II and his sister... Bernice, lover, whatever you wish to call her. Amen. They have a long history with the Jews and with Jesus. Just to understand, Herod Agrippa II, his, his, great, his, grand, his great granddad, Herod the Great, also known as Herod during the time whenever Jesus was born, is the one that killed all the Bethlehem children two years old and younger an attempt to kill Jesus Christ. That's his, that's part of his family. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas who beheaded John the Baptist. You like to do your genealogies? Look at this one. <laughs> He's the son of Herod Agrippa I who killed James in Acts chapter number 12 and imprisoned Peter. Herod Agrippa II, he's the brother of Drusilla. Remember Felix who served before Festus? Drusilla was his wife. He is, he is the brother of Drusilla, who was the wife of Felix. So 
Agrippa here, Agrippa II, has a long family line of Herods that are familiar with Jews and familiar with Jesus. And so whenever Paul was standing there that day and he was talking about the law and he was talking about the prophets and he was talking about those, these things and he addressed uh, Agrippa and said, hey, you know of what I am speaking is true. You understand what I'm saying. He understood the legacy or he understood at least the descendants, if you will, of Herod. He knew that Agrippa knew that what Paul was speaking was truth. He knew Although Paul, and, and folks, I, I, and I, I take this for granted sometimes, but whenever I come in here on a Wednesday and I start teaching in a chapter, I, I, we could spend time just reading the whole chapter, but I hopefully you've read the chapter before you ever got here because then we could really be here long if I got to come in here and then read the chapter and you're not even familiar about what I'm talking about. Okay? So in case I've never made that expectation, I make it now, this many years in pastoring, read the chapter before we come to service so that I don't have to, if I talk about, Paul was talking about he was being accused for hope's sake, you know what I'm talking about. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. You're going to start making me sweat up here. He has a long line, a long list of Herod's. Paul spoke about how what he talked about, Paul said what I talked about was what the tribes of Israel, they spoke of a hope, that's what I spoke of. He said what I speak about, he says, is the hope that the law taught about. He says, so I'm not saying any different than what the law was saying. He says, as a matter of fact, all the, the, the law and the prophets, they spoke about there would be a Christ, interpreted a Messiah. There would be a Messiah. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, spoke of a Messiah. Psalm 16, the messianic psalm, speak of a Messiah. He said they spoke of a Messiah that would come. Not only that, they spoke of a Messiah that would rise from the dead. In, Psalm, in Isaiah 54, when it speaks of the suffering servant and it begins to talk about that, that, that he was wounded for our transgressions and all these different things, and it speaks about his, 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 he wasn't much to look upon. The Bible even states that he would be the Messiah, and it says that his life shall be prolonged, which is alluding to, amen, the fact that he would die, but he would resurrect. You see it all there in Isaiah 54. And so here's Paul. He's trying to, he's trying to make things very legitimate. I am Paul. I grew up in Jerusalem. I was a Jew. Virtually anybody that ever knew me then knew I was of the strictest sect of Jews. I was a Pharisee. Amen. And the reason why I was being tried, amen, along this pilgrimage is because of holding on to the hope that the tribes spoke of, that the law spoke of, amen, that the prophets spoke of. And I've held on even to my childhood hope that there would be a Christ someday and that he would rise from the dead. In other words, he just simply believed this even, that God had the ability of raising someone from the dead. He's not much different from Abraham putting Isaac on the altar believing God would raise him up. He's not different, much different from Job in believing that though my, my flesh shall somehow be ate by worms in my flesh, I shall see God. They all had this hope that God could raise someone from the dead. And so Paul's saying, I'm being accused for hope's sake. I'm being judged for clinging to the very hope that the prophets clung to, that the 12 tribes of Israel clung to, and everything else. He said, I'm being, I'm being held hostage because of the very same things that they taught. Agrippa, you're a Jew. You know what I'm saying is true. But 
in reality what Paul was being convicted of. He was accused for making the connection that needed to be made. The connection that Jesus Christ or Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was the one that rose from the dead. And we've seen this, folks, I hope you remember over and over again in the messages of Peter and Paul concerning this. That being stated, listen, the Jews had no problem with the concept that God could raise the dead. Had no problem with that. The Jews had no problem with the concept of a coming Messiah. Had no problem with that. They even didn't have a problem with a Messiah being raised from the dead. No problem with that. But for them to accept Jesus' resurrection meant Jesus was the Messiah and meant that they rejected and killed Jesus. Thus they rejected and killed their Messiah. Have no problem with God raising the dead. Have no problem that a Messiah would come and be raised. But whenever you tell us the man we rejected and killed is the man, the Messiah. That changes everything. And see, that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. He was connecting the dots for him. Amen. He took everything that they were firm believers of and he blended it together and let them understand that the Jesus that they crucified, amen, the Jesus that they rejected was the Messiah and they had a problem with that because in essence, I'll accept that God raises the dead but if we accept Jesus' resurrection, that confirms that he was Messiah to us. That changes everything. That's why Paul, for the third time in Scripture here, is the, 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 the relating of his conversion story. And that's why Paul states, I was on the opposite fence just like you all were on the opposite fence. I, were against G I was against Jesus just like you're against Jesus right now. I did many things contrary to the name of Jesus, he told them. He said, I, 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 I thought that Jesus was trying to replace God. He said, I thought Jesus was trying to replace God. And I think that's maybe what some of you are thinking. He said, I, I thought that Jesus was trying to replace God. And so I did many things against the name of Jesus. I put saints in prison. I put some of them to death. I punished some of them. I persecuted others of them. I provoked some of them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. Holding their babies, if you will, going to take their life unless you deny the name of Jesus. He said, I did all of that. He said, but on that Damascus road, amen, as I was traveling and I was knocked down off my beast and there was a great light and there was a voice from heaven that spoke to me and asked me, what in the world am I doing? Why are you persecuting me? And I called out and said, who art thou, Lord? That voice said, I am Jesus. And whenever I heard that, I understood that Jesus wasn't dead. Jesus was alive. And that Jesus was not some second person in the Trinity, but Jesus was the Almighty God that had robed himself in flesh. He goes on to 1 Corinthians 15 and says that he even seen Jesus. So Paul says, on that road, I understood that Jesus was alive and that I seen him and that he resurrected and that he must have been the Messiah then that both suffered and died and resurrected and has now given light to every person, including the Gentiles. 
his understanding he constantly tries to teach throughout the scripture look at Galatians 3.24 he's trying to teach others look what he says wherefore the law because there are you know Jews and everybody's all hung up on this law thing wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ Messiah the law was to bring us to Messiah. The law and the prophets, they spoke Messiah would come. The law and the prophets, they spoke that he would even die. He says, all this was to bring us to Messiah. And he says, and I want to just supply who that is. Jesus Christ. The law was our schoolmaster, our teacher, to bring us to Jesus Christ. Now, look at this year. I, I ain't going to hold you real long tonight. I didn't bring a hanky tonight. And I wore like five layers. <laughs> Look at verse number one of Acts 26. Verse number two, actually. Paul says when he starts his discussion with King Agrippa, I think myself happy. Right? I think myself happy. If you look at verse number 11, when he's relaying his story, how he did all of horrible things against uh, the people that spoke the name of Jesus, believed in the name of Jesus. He says, and being exceedingly mad against them. In verse number 24 then, after he's talked about how what the law and the prophet spoke of was Christ would suffer and that Christ, Christ would be the first to rise from the dead and he would shew a light unto all people and to the Gentiles. Then Festus sitting over here in the corner is just supposed to be taking notes. You know, he's already had Paul in trial. Arises and said, my goodness, Paul, man, with a loud voice, much learning, hath made thee mad. And Paul denies it. Look what he says. Paul denies it. He says, I'm not mad. He said, but I'm just speaking forth the words of truth I'm speaking for words of truth and look at this Paul whenever he starts out talking to Agrippa he says I, I think myself I think myself happy I'm happy I'm happy to be able to stand before you be able to give testimony I'm happy and then along the journey Festus says you're mad now there isn't nothing more aggravating than somebody trying to tell you how you are emotionally you're feeling down aren't you no I'm fine everything's okay no, you're feeling, you've been feeling kind of down, aren't you? No, no, I'm, boy, there ain't nothing that flips my button any quicker than somebody trying to give a judgment call on my emotional welfare. I'm not lying. He says, you're mad. Paul says, I'm not mad. I'm just speaking truth. But whenever he spoke of himself being mad is whenever he was acting in opposition to the name of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus. He says, you want to call me mad? You want to call me, quote unquote, crazy or insane? It's whenever I'm doing things that in opposition to the Lord. He said, but I'm happy today. I'm of sound mind. Because that day is a day in my past. Uh-huh. I'm living for the Lord now. Now, look, this is interesting. Because I think the adversary plays the same game with us today. Yeah. Because, listen, as a preacher, let me say it more than anything, as a pastor, he wants people to be deceived in thinking that when we proclaim truth, that we're really just expressing anger. No, 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 no. You don't understand. That whenever I open up the holy book and I read verses of scripture that somehow penetrate somebody's beliefs, 
that gets down to where they're living. Tell you what, Pastor, he was kind of mad today, wasn't he? What was his problem? They interpret me being mad because I'm speaking truth. It is a ploy of the adversary to have people think that I'm up here just spitting and going and man, he's mad, his face is red. Stay around for a while. If I start breathing hard enough, my face and my eyes will even turn red. I'm telling you right, I go home many nights with my eyes bloodshot. My eyes will even turn red. And so I'm going to get red in the face. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad about the sin you're living in. It doesn't please God very well, and that sorrows my heart. But I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the adversary. I'm mad at demonic forces. I'm mad at every force of hell. I'm not mad at you. But, folks, I cannot, cannot, cannot refrain, amen, from speaking the truth just because you're going to interpret that as anger or you're going to interpret that as mad. I try to live by the Bible to speak the truth in love and the reason why I think the apostle said to speak the truth in love is because there's going to be a bunch of people deceived that you're mad Paul says I'm not mad Festus I'm not insane Agrippa knows what I'm talking about in other words If I'm mad, he's mad too. If I'm crazy, he's crazy. He knows what I'm talking about. Besides, this thing was not done in a corner. This thing was not done in a corner. Agrippa knows what I'm talking about. He knows what the laws and the prophets said. He was along the journey, but let's take it just a step further. Why would you much longer? Let's take it just a step further. Remember, remember the family tree of King Agrippa II here? Paul says, he knows what I'm talking about. Watch me now. Watch me. Matthew 2, verse number 1. Just, just this, the land's just right being in the month of December. All this culminates here. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, that's Herod the great, that's the great granddad to the Herod Agrippa that we're speaking of here in scripture. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things he was troubled namely number one because they're looking for the king of the Jews and Herod thought that was his capacity and they had been through a series of empire taking over empire one king is just uh, taking the place of by another king and so he's a little troubled here and all Jerusalem with him now look at verse 4 and when he had gathered all the chief priests these are the Jews when he gathers the chief priests and scribes of the people together He demanded of them where Christ or Messiah. Where's Christ or Messiah? Where should he be born? Something something clicked in his head back there. What? Man, they're saying king of the Jews. They're saying Bethlehem. Man, is there something about the Messiah? Is there something about about Christ being born? The Bible says in verse 5, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by This is New Testament rendering of what an Old Testament prophet said. 
<laughs> written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel, the inherit. When he got this information from the Jews, the horse's mouth, the chief priests and the scribes, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared in the sky. He goes on to tell them, you go on on your journey. Whenever you get there, you tell me where and what so I also can come and worship, which was a cover-up. He wanted to know what time the star appeared in the sky so he could number the days because he understood this. This is what he understood then, Brother Mason. He understood the babe that was born in Bethlehem was the Messiah. Stated more frankly, he understood Jesus that was born in Bethlehem was the Christ, the Messiah. In so much, he had every two-year-old child, two years and younger, slaughtered in Bethlehem because evidently he was so sure that that Jesus was the Messiah. Huh? Now, let me ask you a question, Brother Fred. If your great-grandpappy, are you hearing me? Because, see, family's pretty thick. If your great-grandfather <laughs> believed the Messiah to be Jesus, how's that going to form your thought processes about that? I dare to say that from granddad to dad, from dad to son, as the story would go or be told, this was done because that child that was born in Bethlehem was the Christ who would be the king of the Jews. And grandpappy didn't want anybody taking his kingship away from him. So he did that because he believed Jesus to be the Messiah. So as King Herod II is sitting there that day and Paul is talking about the prophet spoke of a Christ, the prophet spoke of a Christ that would die and he began to speak then concerning a resurrection and he made the connection that Jesus Christ resurrected. Therefore, Jesus Christ is your Messiah inside of a his jaw is down to his knees because he remembers his great grandpappy doing what he did because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he sits there with all of this news. He doesn't want to lay claim to what happened in his family tree because then he would be on a bad side with the Jews. But he didn't want to also say that Christ didn't resurrect and that Christ didn't come because that would be setting off with the Jews as well. He didn't want to own it and he didn't want to disown it. And so the words he speaks with Paul are simply these. Thou almost persuadest me. Paul knew. He said, you know Agrippa. You know Agrippa. You know what I'm talking about your great granddad had the revelation your I'm convinced right now and I'm just walking in the Holy Ghost but I'm convinced right now in this place amen that there are some that may even have members
members in your family tree that was once acquainted with this thing, that was once acquainted with this truth. And I stand up here as a heralder tonight and I'm telling you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, you know the importance of Jesus' name baptism. I'm telling you, you know the importance of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why? You have had a word through your family tree. Maybe an old grandmother or a old grandpa was a Pentecostal preacher or a Pentecostal saint. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And sometimes you sit in here and you shudder to your bone because you want to make a move, but you don't want to make a move. You know what I'm talking about. Stand with me this evening. I'll, I'll put down the wheels. I spent a whole bunch of time in this chapter because, again, Paul retells to a certain degree his conversion story. In his conversion story, he tells just a little bit more concerning his responsibility. He said, I was, I was to be a witness about what I, what I heard, what I seen, and the things that I would see. Christ appeared to Paul on multiple occasions after his conversion. He says, and this is what I see as in part my mission. You can look at it in verse number 17, verse 18. He said, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I now send thee. Here's what Paul says. He said, to open their eyes. It's what I feel like part of my responsibility is to open the eyes of those that are blinded by disbelief and untruth. To turn them from darkness to light. That's what I feel like in part is my responsibility. Look, and he gets even, he, he slides in just a little bit more narrow here. He says, to deliver them from the power of Satan, but to give them over, if you will, unto God. For what reason? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me, Jesus said. That is your commission. Open their eyes. Take them from darkness to light. Take them from Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sins. But not just that. But they have an inheritance coming to them by becoming a child of God. They're going to be sanctified, set apart by faith in me. Agrippa, you know all too well what I'm talking about. They said, I'm insane and I'm crazy and I'm mad for saying these things. I'm mad and I'm insane for believing these things and going to prison over these things. He says, I'm not mad. I'm not insane. You know what I'm talking about. He said, when I was insane is whenever I was blinded. Whenever I was insane is whenever I love darkness more than I did light. Whenever I was insane is whenever I subjected myself to the power of Satan. When I was insane is whenever I was happy to live in the sin I was living in. I was insane when I had no hope of an inheritance. That's when I was insane. That's when I was mad. He said, but I, I think myself happy today. I think myself happy today. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. 
Hallelujah. As we close in this service tonight, I pray that we could just bow our heads all across this place. Bow our heads all across this place. Oh, God. Sir or ma'am, if you're in a position that you're playing games with God, it's just not the hour to do that. If you're on the fringe, if you're on the fringe, it's not a time to do that. It's not a time to do that. We come in here every service, we open up the word of God and we preach and preach from the book of the book of life. There's so many festuses that are just sitting in the corner somewhere. If I can just write something, if I just have some word to write. You want something to write? Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Your hand was just as responsible as anybody else's hands and nailing him to the tree. Your hand was just as responsible as anybody else's hands in getting him on the cross. But the hope, the hope of the tribes of Israel, the hope of the law of the prophets is this, is that he would come with the purpose, with the intent on dying, that he could resurrect and he could give the life to you and to me to have beyond our personal graves. You want something to write? Write about that. That's not insane. That's not madness. No, no, no. That's something that'll make you happy. That's something that'll make you happy. Don't mistake in truth for madness. Don't mistake in truth for anger. Don't mistake in truth for insanity. You better take truth and you better love truth. The Bible says in the last days that he'll send them a strong delusion. They would, be, they would believe a lie and be damned because they receive not the love of the truth. Let me tell you, every time truth's going forward, it's trying to wrap its arms of love about you. <laughs> it's trying to wrap its arms of love about you. Hallelujah. Sometimes that tight squeeze isn't always comfortable, but I guarantee you it's for the benefit of us in the end. It's trying to wrap your everlasting arms around about you. Can we talk to the Lord right now as they begin to play, sing here tonight? Hallelujah. Will someone just be mindful of the Lord in this place? Will somebody be mindful? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.